right here, right now. You are the sovereign God of the universe. You are the creator of all things. You are the beginning and the end. You are the Alpha and Omega. And I just pray that your name would be lifted up and all men would be drawn nigh unto you, Lord. I pray that your word would be preached. Help me not to be in your way, Lord. Help me not to be uh, anybody to see me up here. I just pray it be your word and the power of your word, Lord. Um, and the power of your name and what that means, Lord. I pray that that would change. That would change us as who we are in our daily lives when we get a taste or, or a sight of just the hinder part of your garment, Lord. I pray that that would have a change in our lives. And I pray that if you would allow me here as the instrument of, you, of preaching your word, Lord, I pray that you would just allow for that to take place here right now, that we could just see a little bit more of your glory and your word here now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, um, I've preached, I've had the privilege of preaching up here a few times. I've been very, very thankful, and thank you so much, Pastor. Um, Pastor is the man of God, and I, I love Pastor. I'm so thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the leadership of this church. I'm thankful for the direction, the way things have gone. And, uh, you know, we, we as a church body here, we don't always agree and understand and nothing's ever perfect. And that's just kind of the world we live in right now is because we're all we're all sinners. But guess what? God's still on the throne and he's leading in miraculous ways. And there's nobody here tonight or what service are we in? It's weird because it's two o'clock, two thirty. But nobody can tell me that God's not real. And so I kind of ventured off. A while back, and I preached a message on the love of God and the unsearchable riches of what that means. And I had the opportunity to preach that last time I was up in the pulpit. And so I got more into that, and actually it turned into what I believe became like a three-point series. And then I got into my three-point series and realized that it's probably more like a ten-point series. And then after I got into the ten points, I realized it's an endless it's an endless series. And, and, and God's word has been just compounding and compounding. And his name just continues to be lifted higher and higher. And so I am on a venture right now that has taken me much further than I thought it would go. And so it's a climb. And it's, 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 it's a hike up a tall mountain. It's, it's, it's going up Everest to really try to describe the sovereignty of God, because that is the topic we're speaking on this morning, or 2.30, whatever we're going to call it right now. But th- that, is, that, is the, that is the subject I'm going to be speaking on, and it has to deal with his love and his sovereignty. And I, and I believe if I'm really to... I've just been praying for the last month, Lord, just don't let me get in the way, because if you allow me to communicate to you what God's been communicating to me in just the least bit, I believe you're going to walk away with a blessing. So I'm just praying that God will allow for that. And so uh, the first thing we must do in approaching the sovereignty of God is to go to the beginning. So you can turn your Bibles to Genesis, because this is where we see the, deal, the, the workings of our Creator and how He works. So as you're turning there, and we can go right straight to the very beginning, which would be Genesis 1.1, as we know. Uh, as many of us can quote this passage of Scripture, all too familiar and very simple. And, and that's what I love. That's what I've been a bit just absolutely amazed and astounded by with God's word is that sometimes the most 
simple, black and white, plain to read, easy to understand, kindergarten level stuff is actually the deepest, most impactful, most magnificent points of his word. And so it's easy to to skim read over something we feel like, oh, this is just regular and I've understood that. I've, I've, I've learned that since I was a small child. But to really grasp what's taking place, I believe we really need to take a look at what's happening here. And so in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God. That alone is enough. We could preach, I could preach a whole series on, on those words right there, but I won't. Because I'm going somewhere, and i, I got to move, and I'm, I'm uh, cautious of the time, and so I'll try not to keep you long. But in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I believe there's probably a few in this room right here, right now, that struggle with those definitions and what that might imply. Did he truly do that? Maybe God is... Well, I do believe in a God. I believe that God is out there. But really, he just kind of set things in order. And over time, things have evolved into what they've become. And man has just a process of scientific evidence that we've discovered to be evolution. And in all of the scientific realms would explain that in all of their knowledge, they could uh, wax eloquent in explaining to us how there really actually is no God. And God is actually more of just kind of that happy story we tell our children before bed to make sure that they're good. And, you know, kind of like the, the boogie monster. I mean, even if you go into the story of, of Santa Claus, he was supposed to actually, at first, and I heard this from Luke, was supposed to scare the children because if you uh, didn't do what was right, he was going to give you coal and, like, haunt you or something. It's just, it, but that, that's really not what's taking place here. And so I want to preface my message by saying that the first thing we must do, and I don't have time to um, elaborate on this. So I'll state it and let's move on. And I'm sorry if you're not there. But this really is the infallible Word of God. These truly are. As you look at your Bible here, and I know there's many arguments, and so it's okay, and I don't have time to go into it. So I just pray that the Holy Spirit of God would convince you that this is truth. That as I say this, that God's Word is true. And every man's a liar. This is our only absolute truth. So when it does say, in the beginning, God, it really does mean in the beginning. The beginning of what? Well, God created time. So God really can't communicate to us in words we can understand. Because when you say in the beginning, you're saying, well, in the beginning of what? And he's saying, well, in the beginning, there was no time. So I can't say in the beginning of what time that was, because there was no time until God had created it. So in the beginning, God. Before I read any further, I have a passage here, or not a passage, I have an insert here. It's from uh, an article I read, a very, very, very impactful article, and believe it or not, it was on Google, and it was still good. But uh, yeah, I just I was looking into the order of the cosmos, and uh, uh, there's this, this is an article written by Greg Wibber, and on March 14th of 2017, and in everything that he's laying out... He had this this portion that I wanted to share with you, and it says, If there is a creator God who made the world with a pattern and order that is manifested throughout all creation, if all things interconnect at the point of their origin in one God, if there are absolutes 
and objective standards. By the way, can I stop there and say that we're living in a world where there are no absolutes and objective standards. Everything is left to reason and feeling and interpretations of man. But can I just say that God's word gives order when he describes the order of the cosmos. It's unbelievable. And I just don't have time, so I'll just keep going. At the point of origin in one God, if there are absolutes and objectives, so if you're following with me, let's just, if you could with me, if you don't believe in God, or maybe you might be disagreeing with some of this, can I just ask you to do me a favor? Would you allow for whatever voice it is that's fighting with you? Just put that aside and open up your heart and see that maybe if there truly is a God, he might actually be speaking to you right now. And he might be proclaiming truth because as we read his word, it does not return void. And that as it pierces into our hearts, I believe the Holy Spirit can speak to you and say, this is truth. I mean, you've heard a lot of things. We've all heard many, many ideas. And you've probably heard many great ideas from much, much smarter men than I. And and you could beat me in apologetics and you could beat me in an argument and you have more education. That's fine. I got God's word. It's a little more powerful than all that. So just put that at ease and bear with me. So if we are accepting absolutes and objective standards in the disciplines of learning and the arts, then it is the role of the student, which is us, to discern, study, and utilize the patterns in order of the cosmos with a desire to emulate the created order for the purpose of both thinking God's thoughts after him and for gaining wisdom and understanding as to the nature and character of God. If, however, man's reason is the ultimate guide for understanding, which is what we're at, uh, what we're facing today, if, if reason is the ultimate guide for understanding and truth, man himself becomes the arbiter and standard for truth, learning and the arts. And the ultimate goal becomes a utilitarian or entertainment and pleasure rather than godly wisdom. We define our own order. We make our own structure. There is no one ruler. Everybody is their own ruler and everybody makes their own rules. And as you know, if you were to run a military or a, a business or any kind of successful operation that had design and creation is, is all put together to work in order and function perfectly with an ecosystem. I mean, I can go on about what God's done in our amazing planet here, but I don't have time. But I, can I just say that if we were to look at all that, if you take the order out of it, you have chaos, absolute chaos. In fact, a chaos that ensues which is why we, have world, why we have the world is at war and people fighting once and one amongst another. We have uh, parents that are killing their children. We have a brother against brother. We have all kinds of sins and heinous hurts and crimes. And I'm going to need some water. <clears throat> this world is a sinful place in which we live. And if you're not religious and you don't believe in God, maybe we could use a different word than sin. So bear with me. Could we use the word instead of sin? Could we say virus? That this is a program that somebody created. I mean, it didn't come from nothing. And I think all man truly and inherently knows that there is a creator. An atheist, it says in his heart, he does not believe God. But I believe that to be a lie. 
I believe that every man inherently truly does know deep with inside of them. They might, may cover it. They may hide it in arguments. But truly, they do know, I think, down deep. Because when you look at the handiwork, and then you see in Romans 1 where it t- says that they are without excuse, being able to see the invisible things of the world created, or being able to see visible things that were created by the invisible God, that they are without excuse. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. But can I just say that you cannot look at the order and structure of the universe and say... Yeah, that just kind of blew up and turned into something amazing to the most absolute, uh, minute details. And so in Genesis 1.1, it says this, uh, we believe this to be the foundation of truth, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then we see day on creation day one in verses 3 through 5 of uh, Genesis, how God created light. And it says in God's, verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light. That it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and and the evening and the morning were the first day. (coughs) Genesis 1, 6 through 8, we see that God created the heavens. Let me skip to verse 6. It says, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. In Genesis 9, 1, I mean, in Genesis 1, 9 through 13, we see the creation of the sea and the dry land on day 3. We could read that real quick, and I'm going to continue to skim as I have much material to cover here. It says, And God said, Let the waters in the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called the sea. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, and whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. I like God. I love God because God's the one, was the one creator that really everything he creates is good. I mean, he looks at it and there's no flaw in it. So he, he, he's not really, if he was to say it wasn't good, that would make God a liar because all things that God creates in their perfect design before man gets in and messes everything up and downloads viruses and changes his design, that everything that God made from the beginning of time was in perfect order. And in fact, when Adam and Eve set foot in the garden, it was paradise. I, I don't have time now. Let, let's just go ahead and skip through for sake of time. There's other days, and we know that there's seven days of creation. And on the seventh day, God rested from his labor. And we learned that even God created rest. That man was not made to work nonstop. That there is a day of rest, and there's something special about that that God created. And so every day has something special. And at the end of every creation, God says, it was good. And so when God takes this this planet, this ecosystem with the stars and with the way that the, the rain feeds the grass and the grass grows and then it gives forth its seed and then it reproduces and it continues to germinate and it continues to grow that we have a perfect ecosystem. And as we know today, we, we're hearing much about how the planet is being destroyed by man and, and I believe there's a lot of political agendas behind that, but I do believe there are also on the other side some truths to that. Because I know that if I'm to go fishing in the Puget Sound, I'm not going to catch nearly as many fish as my dad used to catch growing up back in the day. 
I mean, I'm just saying, that, and, and so I'm all for fishing game and blah, blah, blah. I don't have time for that side rabbit trail. But I just got to say that as man, before man really gets involved in what's going on, can you imagine what God's garden must have looked like? A lush, beautiful, gorgeous garden. I mean, you think you've been to a botanical garden, you ain't seen nothing. I mean, it was it's species that have probably gone extinct of different kinds of plants and animals and fruits and vegetables, non-GMO, right? Gluten-free, I'm sure. All the good stuff. Free-range animals to eat for Adam. I mean, I'm sure the beef cows were delicious. I'm just saying. I'd be eating, oh, I guess they weren't really eating steak at that time, but I'm going to have a word with God when I get to heaven about not eating meat because I just feel like that's a heavenly thing. Anyway, so... Side notes again, got to get back into it. I'm just saying, though, that as man entered into this paradise, God gave him a choice. It's very simple. See, God's earliest design for man was simply so that he could just have a relationship with him. It's really not that complicated. And that's why Genesis is so amazing, because it's actually really not that complicated. And often men attribute God as being this complicated, hard-to-reach uh, uh, you know, law, judgmental God that says you can't do this and you can do that. And look at all these commandments. And as you get into the Old Testament, I believe there's something like 620-something, or I, I'm not quite sure. There's, there's endless commandments of how the, the, the Levites were supposed to practice, you know, the different uh, priesthoods and the, the different ways they would wear their garments and the different ways they would do their sacrifices. And it goes on and on and on. And you look at it and you go, wow, God is really just, you know, Know, just overbearing and ruling. But really, God's perfect design was none of that. God's perfect design was, you don't even need clothes. You just walk through a garden full of food, don't worry about anything, and just enjoy fellowship with me. But God gave man a choice because he didn't want a robot. What he wanted was somebody to have a relationship with him. And, and what's contingent upon having a relationship is having a free will to have that relationship. As you well know, if you were in a marriage with somebody and you said, at gunpoint, if you leave me, I'll kill you, you don't really have a relationship, do you? (laughs) I mean, that's not a relationship. And really, that's what God was doing. And so he put in the garden, he gave man a choice, and he says, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt surely die. Man, God's harsh. Do it my way or the highway. How could you? But, but, but man had every opportunity to be absolutely fulfilled with everything that God had given him. Really, there was nothing that God had given him that man needed more of. And that's the great deception. That's the great lie that Satan wants us to believe is that what God gives us is not enough and what the world has to offer is better than what he has to give. So we, we see as man is created, we see that man falls. And so ultimately, uh, Adam and Eve, they both eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because of this, a virus is now downloaded into God's perfect program. Because everything God created was good. In fact, when God created man on the sixth day, and he's speaking of what he did with man is that he created man, and he didn't say it was just good. He said it was very good. When he looks at you and me, we are the greatest imagination 
of his unlimited ability to create whatever he wants. Oh, Brother David, that just sounds like a little glorifying of man. No, that's not glorifying of man. That's glorifying of God's work. Because God's the one that said, we are very good. You, every one of you, are very, very special to the Lord. He, he, he formed you. He, he designed you. Your DNA is a code that God writ, wrote every part of you, the pores in your body, the hairs that you'll have, whether or not you're bald, sorry, Chip, whether or not you got uh, long hair, whether or not you're blonde, or whatever, whatever it is, God said, this is what I want, and the big ugly mole on my face, or the, the, the kinked elbow I got that I was, you know, whatever it might be, doesn't matter. God looked at that and said, that is very good. And if, I'm telling you, if you're born here in this room with physical ailments, that God gave you, can I just say that there is strength and weakness and there is power in your own infirmities that you may rest upon the power of Christ and knowing that God created you that way and you're not, you're not sinful or bad or should feel guilty for what God created you to be because he says you're very good. So, we have the... What, what, what is it that took place... Oh, man, I, I really want to make sure that I cover the passages of Scripture here. So, Genesis 2, turn to verse 7. And it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. It is here that we see that man is taken to the dust of the earth, and that God breathes upon that dust and animates in him life. The breath of God is the animating force which gives us life. In fact, if I went out elk hunting and I've trained that if I'm going to shoot an elk with my bow, I'm going to either hit it in the lungs or in the heart. Because the lungs bring in oxygen into my body and it's my heart that takes that oxygen and pumps it through blood throughout all my body. And if there's any part of my body that is, does not have the blood in it, which is a transmitter of his breath, oxygen, it dies. If I was to wrap it around my finger and hold it there for, I don't know, maybe three days, my finger would turn purple and black and start to decay and rot because it's lost its circulation. It no longer has blood. It no longer has the breath of God. And so because man sinned and he had to be separated from God, because God, who knew no sin, could not dwell amongst men who had sin with them. He's perfect. He cannot allow a virus to be with him, And so he had to push man out of the garden. And because of this great sin, God says, because I formed you from the dust of the ground, to, from the dust you were created, to the dust you shall return. You shall surely die, is what the Lord said. In verse 8, And the Lord God planted in the garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And, and, and we see the redemption plan of God from the very beginning as he, he, they took a lamb and they, they killed this lamb and they took the, the, the skin of the lamb to cover their nakedness because they didn't used to know that nakedness was a sin. It was an age of innocence where it didn't matter if you were naked. There was no sin or there was no shame in that. But now with the knowledge of good and evil, that, that, that is now given and so sin is now identified by man. And so sin entered into the world by Adam. And by Adam, sin passed from generation to generation. And so that anyone that's ever been born is a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin, the payment, because you are a sinner, born in sin by sinful nature through Adam, thou shalt surely die. That's the wages of 
of your sin. So I want to take a look at something. I want to take a look at that, the knowledge of good and evil. What, what are we talking about there? Because I see two battles here. You see, often we think that we are in a fight against evil. We are just, it is good versus evil. And we that are here in church, we are the good guys. And those guys outside on the other side of those walls, those are the bad guys. And we got a war against all this evilness in this flesh. But God actually said it was the fruit of good and evil. It's two things. It's two things that man were given. They weren't only given the knowledge of sin. They were given the knowledge of good. And man's ability to interpret what good is, is fallible. See, God knows in, in, in perfect spectrum what good and what evil is and how to deal with it. Man, in our limited space of mind, will take good and turn it into evil. And in fact, we can see throughout all history, it was men trying to do good things that ended up in, like, you know, genocide, out of, good, out of a good nature, pragmatism. You see man's philosophy leading to uh, 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 bad outcomes. And so I, I wanted to break this down and show you the etymology of the word so that you can understand I'm not making this up, actually. So good, the, the knowledge of good. Let's take a look at what good means. Good, uh, um, in a sense, would be, I, I'm going to proclaim it as religion. Good, religion, because religion is, it's, it, religion is a noun, and it means a particular system of faith and worship. In Latin origin, it's in, uh, it, by, you know, in its Latin text, it was actually said as obligation or bond or reverence. See, you hear that word bond, chain, form, structure. See, see religion, we think it often is, is actually a really good thing because what religion does is confine who God is and tries to outline that. But the problem with as we try to outline who God is and, and try to be good in that, it's often easily corrupted. And we can see that throughout history also with you know, the Crusades or with uh, you know, all kinds of different holy wars that have taken place. And even today we have Islam, people that believe in Allah, Almighty God, that are blowing themselves up for the cause of their God. They are taking something that is good, that there is a God, and He is good and we should worship Him. That's good, but they pervert it. And so now good becomes a working force against us. So mankind is now not only facing good, he's also going to be facing evil. Because if we take a look at that word evil, evil is, I would compare it to philosophy. So I'll explain. So philosophy is a noun also. Especially when regarded as, and it means this, especially when regarded as supernatural force. For this is to be expected right, man must deny a supernatural force. And so what happens with philosophy is its reason. Actually, in fact, it goes back to that word I stated earlier, and I believe I have a definition on that, is uh, the utilitarian. It just means of reason. That man takes his own reason. He removes God, and he says, by reason we have science we have education, we have philosophers, we have Greek theologians that think about deep thoughts. And they've given us this idea of a world that exists with higher knowledge that is actually absence of God. And without God, you have moral decay and absolute moral collapse, actually. And that's why people are justifying their sins, because if there really is no God, then there's no good and evil, and really it's left to my own interpretation of what that is. And so we could easily take a look at philosophy 
philosophy and say, if you remove God, that would be the knowledge of evil. That's, that's evilness because it's against God. So now, once again, I said that Adam ate of the, the, knowledge, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so we both have good in religion and we have evil in philosophy. And these are two warring uh, uh, things against the believer here, I believe, today. And even within our own church. And within our own communities and our own loved ones. And you probably have seen this for yourself. As you may have been witnessing to somebody that is very religious in their own beliefs. And they can't be reached with the truth of who God really is. Or you may be trying to witness to somebody who is trenched in philosophy and science. And so as you argue with them, you're going to go, oh man, there's no way I could debate with somebody like this. They have so much more education than I do. They know so much more about, I'm not smart enough to render with them. And so I guess I'll just go ahead and let them be an atheist. I'll just go ahead and let this person be a Mormon. They're so entrenched in the depths of their religion of, Mor- of Mormonism that there's no way I could actually reach them with the gospel. And so we here in the church that are trying to reach this lost world are going, oh, we can't do it, right? I mean, really, if somebody's really entrenched in philosophy or somebody's really entrenched in religion, it's kind of a losing battle. And you go, I'm just not going to waste my breath and I'm going to kind of shake off the, foot, you know, the dust off of my feet and go into the next town where somebody will hear me and God allows that. And so we do get some stragglers along the way that will, that will be revived. They'll hear the truth. And they'll, they'll be able to lift up their eyes and see who God truly is throughout all of it. So ultimately, man can no longer walk with God, which saddens him immensely. Because there's a battle here on earth as man is warring against uh, his religion is warring against philosophy and philosophy against religion. And each think that they're on the good side. And as God stands back, he says both sides are lo- the losers. Because science has truth. Philosophy has truths. There are truths in philosophy. I'm telling you right now, there are u- universal truths that do exist that are, that, that are written by man, that are not contained in God's word. Now, I would say they're congruent with God's word. Anything that does not align itself with God's word is a false imagination that must be cast down. And so we know that our rule is by God's word. But that's not to say that science and philosophy does not have real answers at times. Because, I mean, if it agrees with God's word, then it's true. But it's flawed. And then we have religion at the same time that religion is, is leading man. And so we have religiosity. And, and, and let's just say this, that where do we gauge that? We as Christians, we're inherent, not as Christians, as people, we are inherently religious. And so our ability to balance and use God's word to, to ultimately define who this God is that created this world and put things into order, are we really allowing him to, to create to have that design in our life? Or do we say, no, it's the laws of what religious man has said to me that dictates what I believe on the sovereignty of God? So, ultimately this. Many, and this is where many people get lost, and that's why I'm really trying to make sure I don't lose my point here because I want to be very clear. If in verse, look at chapter 1, back in chapter 1, verse 31. If it, says, it says this, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. 
and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So that was the completion of his creation, and that was ultimately he's speaking of the creation of man. And if he's looking at you, and he, he, he really is the all-knowing God, and I can get into scriptures that he formed you from before the foundations of the world were framed, that he knew the numbers of the hairs of your head, that his thoughts are greater towards you than can be numbered as the sand of the sea. I, I, could, I could go on and quote verse after verse, but I think we could kind of all accept as a crowd here that God knew exactly who we were going to be before we were ever born. And so an all-knowing God that knew us in all of our depravity, in all of our wickedness, in all of our sin, in all of your guilt, in all of your problems, and all of the things that really never will be measured up to God. And no matter how much you try to paint, paint your, your, your sepulcher white, it's still full of dead man's bones on the inside because unless you really have True religion, because true religion is just help. The Bible defines what true religion is. True religion is just helping helpless people. And, and it's, it's w- w- visiting the fatherless and the widow and remaining unspotted from the world. That's what defined as, as religion. And then we have ministry, which is organized by the church. And so we gather together in the church, and we have the authority of the pastor. We have the deacons, and we f- gather here together in church for a common cause that we're going to reach the lost and we're going to preach his word and the son of man may be lifted up and all men may be drawn nigh unto him. That's really where we all have the ministry of reconciliation. But with all this sin that we have, how is it that God, before the beginning of the world, knew that we were going to be exceeding sinful as we are? Because everybody in here knows for themselves how evil you are. You might have everybody else fooled, you pro- and you might have yourself fooled. I'm not sure, but most of us kind of really do know, yeah, I'm a sinner, <laughs> definitely. And I'll admit it, I'm a sinner. So if God knew that I was going to be a sinner, and the re- wages of that sin was death, then ultimately the only payment for me not to die would be for him to die on the cross in my place. So meaning, there, there had, this is what had to take place in the heavens, is God's formulating, and, and I don't know if we could say God formulates because he's omniscient and, and, and at all times, and so I don't know how to describe how God really renders thought. But it did process to God that as he created you, he was going to die for you. He knew that. That was planned. That wasn't an accident. That wasn't like, uh-oh, plan B, plan C, we got to figure something out. Things went wrong. It was, no, I know that I'm going to create sinful man. I'm going to give him a choice. And he can choose whether or not to love me and have a relationship with me. Or he can choose to go astray from me. And because he, he's going to go astray, he's going to fall in his sin. And he's never going to measure up. And, that, and what that does in the heart of most people is usually causes a lot of guilt. And a lot of shame is that and Eve were naked and they wanted to cover themselves immediately at the knowledge of good and evil. And so now that we know we're sinful, that gives us shame. And so now there's this feeling of we can't approach God. How could I approach a, a holy God? And, and hopefully that's the way you f- somewhat feel at times that it, in the presence of God, sin should be exceeding sinful in our eyes. If we really true have, do have a true picture of who God is and that he's not just your homeboy and that he's not just some slang that you put on your t-shirt and he's not just some wristband 
And he's not just some, just some thing you kind of flaunt around like, hey, I believe in Jesus. No, he's really the alpha and omega of your life. He is the creator and ruler of the universe. And he really is who he defines himself to be. That that would change your life. And it's going to allow you to see your sin as exceeding sinful. Because in the presence of God, we are very, very small indeed. And that's why Moses was, take off thy shoes from where you stand, because where you stand is holy grounds. Moses, at the end of his life, the one thing that he desired from God, if he could have anything, was just to see more of his glory. And he came back glowing with the presence of God. If you've watched Indiana Jones and the Ark of the Covenant, and they open up the covenant, and all the glory of God comes out, and they go, and they melt, and it's that really bad animation, you know, that they did back then in the 80s. Yeah, I think that's pretty much what would happen to us if we really got a glimpse of the full glory of God. I mean, what was it? Uzzah, he just barely tapped the ark and it was dead. You don't even tap the ark because the presence of God is so powerful. We as mortals can't even contain or even really fathom what that means and who, who he is. And so, we all have sin. And God knew this from the beginning of the world. I have sinned. You have sin. Hello, my name's David. Hi, David. I'm a sinner. That's the first step, really. We've got to all understand that. We all are sinners. We all are falling short. That's an easy one. And in John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That's that death that God promised to us when we were separated from him in the garden, that if we don't accept him, we will not have eternal life, but we shall perish. And so because of that, God had to die. So for God so loved, he's, and it doesn't just say loved. I love that word. He so loved the world. It, 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 it's given a little bit more emphasis there, and I believe it's still an understatement of how much love he truly does have for us. So he, he loved us enough to create us, knowing we would, he would have to die for us. So in a sense, I guess you could say, that God thought you were to die for when he created you. He created you knowing he loved you so much that he was willing to die for you so he could have a relationship with you. And if you don't want a part of that, I would say you don't have a true understanding of who this God is. It's not the God that I know. Because a God that wants to bless me with all the richness and all the inheritance of all of the universe. I mean, come on, we're talking about the seven days of creation. And if you looked at one, you just let's stop on one day and look how he created the stars in the sky. You get the Hubble telescope and you deep and you take out like a little three inch piece of the sky and you go into the depths of it, and they're still trying to count the galaxies that are within that little spot of sky. We, and we say we can measure the universe. Scientists are like, yo, we got this down. And I'm just like, no, you don't. You just. Just don't even, we don't, the reason why the universe is, uh, is like unending and it's, it's world without end and it's so vast in what it is is because it's a display of God's really uncontainability. It's so big that we just don't even try to get it. You could spend your life trying to figure out all the stars, you're not going to get them. And so when we look at the enormity of God, he's huge, but it reverses because as we look at the minute, small little details... And we get smaller and smaller and smaller. And you can get into human biology and you can get down to the human cell. And you can get past the human cell and you can get to the electron. And be around the electron is more things. And they keep thinking they're finding the smallest. I don't have scientific words to describe. But they keep thinking they find like the smallest 
particle that exists of man. And, and it seems like every few years they go, oh, wait, we got it wrong. There's like way more deeper inside. We don't know where it's all coming from. Like we really like science will say we know so much about God. But really, if you talk to a real scientist and I know a guy that's that's I, he, he's a um, he works with crystals. It's kind of weird. But he, he, he believes in God and he talks about I mean, he's like a, a renowned scientist. He has got a great like a, a doctorate degree and he's a doctor now in science. And he says, really, the more and more and more I dig, the more I realize we just absolutely know barely anything about the complexities of this world. Man really paints himself up big. Like, hey, we got this thing figured out. Don't worry. Listen to us. We know what we're talking about. Philosophy continues to convince man that, hey, don't worry. We are wise and smart. And we got all this knowledge. But really, at the end of the day, they don't know squat. I mean, they know barely any. They're just as observable evidences. And if you look at science books that are constantly updated, you, you don't have the same pieces of information. You know, really throughout the ages, the only thing that's ever never been proven wrong from the beginning of the world is God's word because you can't prove it wrong in one area. But science books, that's a, different, that's a different story. Hey, and guess what? Not only that, what is the Catholic Church doing where the Pope is, reigns supreme and he says what God expects from us? Look how much that religion has changed over the times and adapted to different beliefs and winds of theology. It's ever-changing, but there's only one thing that doesn't change. That's God's word. And that's the, and, and God's word, and God exalts his word higher than his name. And there's a reason for it, is because his word proclaims who he is. This is the definition. In the beginning was the word, capital W. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The, it's, so, it's so vast, it's so big, and that's why I keep saying it's going to be huge. Because it really is. It's going to be huge. It's going to be billions and billions and billions of people. I'm just saying that what God's doing is, is so big that every time I get more into this subject of the sovereignty of God and who he is and what God describes, I go, whoa, this is huge. I can't believe it. And I call my friend up on the phone and take a look at this and look how big God is. And I finally grasp this concept. And it's like I'm climbing up the mountain. I've reached higher elevation. And I pull myself over the crest. And I'm like, I've reached it. And I look up. And I haven't even reached the base camp because it's Mount Everest. And it keeps going. God is sovereign. I'm telling you. And He's way mightier than we can ever fathom to try and put in words. And it's changing my life because the more I realize how mighty he is, it absolutely changes the fabric of your world. Because it's true. <laughs> That's what's so amazing. God's word's true. And his sovereignty is true. And, when I, and, and I just, I mean, the religious people can call me a heretic. And the philosophers over here can call me a lunatic. But I believe, I just happen to believe that God is as big as he says he is in his word. I do. I believe that he's greater than I can fathom. I believe that the further I dig into these scriptures, the more I'm going to realize that we really haven't even reached base camp yet. None of us. And Moses says he spent 40 days on the top of the mountain and he, and, he, and he was dwelling with God and God was speaking to him as a friend would speak to him. 40 days fasting and he's up there on this mountain and he's... 
And, and, he, and he just says, God, can I just see your hind parts? And God says, I can't show you me. No man has seen God at any time. You want to know why? Indiana Jones. You're going to explode. You can't contain it. It's unfathomable. I didn't say that right. Fathomable, all right? It's, it's, it's something that... And that's why I'm, I, I'm feeling like I'm really unworthy to touch on the subject. So I'm trying to stay in God's word because really he only can describe himself. My words just get in the way. So let me try and dive back into scripture here for a little bit. Gather my thoughts here. Turn to Psalm chapter 40. Psalm chapter 40. We got we to gotta move this. Let's go. Verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, and out of a miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God, and many shall see it in fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not. The proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. I kind of like what we're talking about. Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to us where they cannot be reckoned. I'm telling you, your little programmed mind that you think you really figured something out, if God downloaded the fullness of who he is, your brain would collapse because it cannot piece it together. It's unreckonable. Upon uh, reckoned up in order unto thee, if I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. God's thoughts towards us. God's thoughts towards us. God's thoughts to us are grounded in his love for us because that's the character of God. And as I said in my last message, I believe that God is love. And, and, and understand that the love has many different attributes, and they're not all fluffy, fuzzy ones. There's some hard ones in there, too. Love's got a lot of hardships in it. Sacrifice and endurance and pain. That's love. So I'm not just painting some fluffy love idea out there, but God is love. And the love that he loves us with is more than I can describe to you and is more than we can comprehend. So let's turn, let's turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. We're, we're getting closer here. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for, gen- for you Gentiles, if you heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he ha- made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, Whereby, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the Son of Men, as is now revealed unto the holy apostles and prophets by his, the Spirit, that the de- Gentiles, the Gentiles, that be us, that's, that's people that are not of the, the Hebrew lineage, that we don't truly have DNA that comes from Father Abraham. It says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, Fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made minister according to the gift, uh, uh, the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of power. 
Let's go jump back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm just getting some scripture. I'm, I'm laying some groundwork. I'm going somewhere with this. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5. It says, even when we were dead in sins, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened. That word quickened means to make alive. When we were dead in our trespasses of sins, when we were uh, falling short of God because we were born into sin and we're not capable of living a sinful, a sinless life like God did, and we have a virus in us, and because that virus ultimately is going to affect us and become death in us, it says even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace... Ye are saved and have raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he may show the the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. When I say words like exceeding, his exceeding greatness, things like that, you've got to realize we're we're describing God, and, and if we're describing a God that's, that's bigger than we can comprehend, and that God that, that's bigger than our mind can compute, and he's the one of saying of himself that I have exceeding great riches laid up for you, and it's, and it's dealing in how much I love you, and I want to describe to you that love, that really that is all the fullness of God I have to offer to you, that can I just say that God is wrapping up for you right now the absolute best gift you could possibly receive. And the best part about it it's absolutely free. <laughs> is that something? I mean, this is not fake. Okay, come on. I'm not just being a religious nut job up here. This is real stuff. This is God's word. And we can go on for hours and hours and lectures and debates and apologetics. And I don't care whatever you want to do. Historical finds and scientific truths all throughout history. God's word is true and every man's a liar. This is, a, this is the real deal here. And God is saying to us right now that in all of his greatness... He loves us in a magnitude that's, that, that is so great, it's exceeding riches and it's incomprehensible. See, there once was a man that tried to describe who God was. He was a religious man, and you'll probably know the quote. And probably some of you afterwards will come up to me and go, Oh, Brother David, you got it all wrong, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. There was once a religious man that said this. Let me make sure I... Get it right, I'm pretty sure you got it here. It says the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. The world is yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. I've always loved this quote. This has been one of my favorite quotes. I I know, Brother Chip, you use this one too. D.L. Moody, I'll just say his name. D.L. Moody, excellent preacher. Great, great man of God. He's done a big work for God. So I'm not bashing this man, but can I just say that I believe his viewpoint's limited because he says that the world is yet to see what a man can do that's fully consecrated with God. But God told me that he already did that, that he already sent his son, that he already dwelt amongst men, that he fully was consecrated. He was the anointed of God. To be consecrated is to be hollowed out and fully filled with all the presence of God. And mankind saw that. And when Christ touched foot on this earth, he displayed to us his great unfathomable love. And that's that he would create us so that he could die for us, so that we could have a relationship that results in the greatness of of who He is, His love, His exceeding love, a love that cannot be described, a love that is the greatest riches of all the universe. And if we're trying to define what the universe is and we can't even get to it and it's greater than that, can I just say that it's 
Huge. <laughs> it's huge. It's huge how much God loves you. And so if you're sitting there in the pew and you're saying, I can't come to God because I've got sin in my life and I got something wrong with me and how could, how could I come to a God like that? Can I just say that love covers a multitude of sin and that love makes all things new and that His blood is shed for your sins and that you can come forward and get it right and I can proclaim this because in my life it's true. Because I've been down roads of treacherous ways that felt like they were without hope. I was a young child. I grew up. My mom was bipolar and she had a few different uh, manic breakdowns. And as my family's trying to deal with that, as my dad's trying to govern the family and my mom's having breakdowns after she had uh, given birth to one of my sisters, that really we had to actually for a bit of time go and be watched by, I had to be babysat and watched by another family because they were trying to deal with my mom who's in a mental hospital and all that instability. And in the meantime, I was created with this extreme, what I would call ADHD, and, and an amount of energy that I could not contain. And I'm yet to find a child that I've ever met, and Dad, you'll testify, that's nearly as crazy as I was. We were the charismatic movement at the time. My mom used to anoint me with oil. We'd pray to cast the demons out of me. I was crazy. I was, at the age of six, I literally had a butcher knife in my hand trying to kill my neighbor. I was so mad. I had insane rages. I would try to fight my sisters, and I would be mad at them. I'd take my belt out, and I'd whip it so hard. I had so much anger and rage that I wouldn't hit them once, and my whole back would be full of welts because I was a wild man. I couldn't be helped, and I was doing bad in school, and I had all this energy, and so what Dad did to try and help me out is he put me in every sport he could. Two, two different football teams at the same time, and I'm snowboarding, and I'm wrestling, and I'm soccer, and I'm baseball, and I'm basketball, everything you can do, and I still got energy, and I'm still a wild man, and I'm still a passionate person, and, and you would ask anybody in this church and look at David as he reached his teenage years, yikes, hormones are kicking in, now it's really bad, what are we going to do, and his passions are going down the wrong road, and it leads to a road that's dark and deep, and I finally get to this point that I don't want to live anymore. So I go to dad's room when he's, out of the, when he's out of the house, and I grab a pistol. I know where he kept his pistol. I loaded it up, put my leather jacket on. I'm done. I don't want to do this life no more. I remember laying out on the couch, and I made one more phone, to, phone call off to my girlfriend to try and tell her I was saying goodbye. And as I'm laying there with the gun in my hand, God just said, God just had me. I don't know. I didn't even think what I was doing. I pulled the trigger, and boom, goes off in the house. Instantly, I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, like, that was real, you know. Kind of shook me up. I run downstairs. There's a hole in the ceiling. There's a hole in the floor. I'll show you if you come over to my dad's house. It's pretty cool. It's a really good patch job, real quick. They, ne- they did not know. Let's just say that. So I hid that gun, and, and I continued down a wild road where I was just like, I, I was just couldn't be fixed. And I went off to a boarding academy, and it was there where I was sent amongst men that didn't care for me. I mean, they, they, they did care for me, but can I just say, they don't care about feelings at the boys' ranch. It's military cowboy ranch. I mean, you suck it up, buttercup. It's time to get out there and scoop the poop. I don't care how you feel. I don't care if it's Christmas morning. It's time to get to work. And I just learned that it was tough and nobody wanted to care for me. And I couldn't call mom and dad. And I couldn't call uh, my girlfriend. And I couldn't talk to my friends or my sisters. And I only had one person to turn to, and it was Christ. And he's all up there saying, hey, I'm right here. Look at me. I love you. I know you're broken. I know you're undone. I know that people don't like you. I know you don't like yourself. I know you don't want to live. I know that you have no hope. But I use broken pieces. 
He doesn't want your, your, your beautiful vase. If you're in here and you're stuck in the trenches of religiosity and you think that your good works are good, can I just say that all our works are as filthy rags. He wants you to be broken. If you're in this room and you're saying, I'm too broke to fix, then you don't know my God. Because he fixes everything. He wants broken pieces, a broken and contrite heart. That's what God's looking for. He's not looking for people that don't need him. He's looking for people that do need him, that will call upon his name. And as I testify of my testimony, I believe this, that when they overcame the great accuser, they overcame him with the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimonies. It was such a blessing to hear Brother Paul uh, and some of the other men of the church give their testimonies the other day. And then the power of what that was and how impactful it was that God could touch base with somebody that was an analytical thinker like Brother Paul is. And his journey down all of the different sciences and theologies and philosophies. And I'm listening and winding through. And you would look at this guy and say, he's lost. There's no way of convincing him. And God, in all of his greatness, knows exactly how to shrink that greatness down and pinpoint it. And get straight down deep in the depths of Paul's heart and say, come alive. Come alive. Ye which were dead in trespasses and sins, he wants to quicken you, to make you alive, to make all things new. Why? So that he gets the glory. He is the all-sovereign, almighty, all-knowing, all-loving, on and on and on. I don't have enough words to describe, but that is he. That's the one we read about here in this book. I don't have enough time to cover the topic. Like I said, this is not a sermon. This is a life to live. This is a mountain I will never reach the end of. And only when I cross to the other side will I be able to get the full depth of that glory. And that's his full riches. That's the comprehension of his love. Because in the beginning of time, God created this paradise for man. Already he did it. But man, because man messed it up, Christ died for him. And then we see in the end when he resurrects from the dead and brings us up together and puts us in his new paradise, his new kingdom... That he did it all over for us again. He created us. And when he... we, I just got to stay on topic. <laughs> There's so much to be said about this topic. We get wrapped up in the method is what our problem is. Because we're tangible, touchy-feely. We see what we see and that's, that's what we believe. And that's what philosophy is. It's out of reason. The things that are observable, that's what I believe. And then when it comes to religion, it's really the same thing. It's, it's, it's whatever we can define God and put him into something that we can... Okay, everybody, this is God. Now, if you, if, if you try to get a bigger viewpoint of God, watch out, because that's, that's a little too much. Let's, let's dial it back in. So religion contains God. Philosophy tries to wipe away God. The problem is with God is he's uncontainable. And if you try to contain him, you're going to get burned, because don't get in his way. He deserves all the right... To get all the glory. And so it ought to be our earnest desire that if we're trying to fix things in our life, if all of our focus is on how can I fix this problem? How can I fix this problem? And how can I get enough education on this or enough philosophy or enough religion? Or I need to do more religious duties or I need to learn more scientific stuff or I need to really investigate an I and I and I and I. And he's saying, cease. You must decrease. I must increase. 
You must learn more of me. If you want your marriages to be fixed, if you want your broken pieces to be put back together, and I'm telling you, I'm watching it all around me happening right now, there's a revival going on, and I don't want to be the one to say it because I don't want it to be of me. I want you guys to know it's God that's doing it right now. But there's a revival going on. I believe it's about to start. It's already started here at Wooden Valley. And really, the only thing keeping it from really taking off is our ability to accept that God really is who He says He is. Because once we start accepting this God, this God, the one that we're defining here, nowhere else, don't get it from anybody else who God is. Get it out of this. Get in your Bible and start reading. And the deeper you get in, you're going to realize how big He is and how small you are. And that's when the revival takes place. When the Son of Man is lifted up, all men shall be drawn nigh unto Him. That's when revival takes place. That's when lives are fixed. That's when broken pieces are made new. When He gets the glory. We're wasting our time. We're fighting religion. We're fighting philosophy. We're fighting ourselves. We think we're winning a battle and we're never winning it. We're always losing because we need to cease from this and stop and acknowledge the one who created us and all the goodness that he is and the love that he has for us. And it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. I've been doing studies on, the, uh, on some of the revivals that took place. And you, you look at like uh, Jonathan Edwards. He, he used to write his sermons. He was, he was a, like a, more of like a British man. So he had that white toupee, the judge-like one, you know. And he'd stand up there and he'd sound all holy and he'd read his scriptures in a monotone voice. And these, as these words were read, uh, I, what has been told to me is that, that some of the largest revivals that the United States has seen was under the preaching of this man, and he read it. And so you know what's funny to me is that I see now today there are people on YouTube wearing the Jonathan Edwards wig, reading his exact sermons, going, God, why aren't you giving revival? I'm reading the same content. And God's saying, it's not the method, it's the message. It's not the religion, it's the relationship. It's, it's me that you must seek. And when, if you go into church and people are spitting in mud and wiping it on eyes because that's how Jesus healed the blind, God's walking in laughing because it's not about the method. It's about the Savior. It's about the one that gives sight to the blind. It's not about the things that we, we keep trying to limit God. And this is, if we do this, then God's going to show up. And, but really, if we want results to take place in our life, it's only when we just acknowledge that all the power sources are right up above us. We just have to acknowledge it. Elisha and the pots. I'm closing. I'm closing. I mean that. I'm not lying to you. Elisha and the pots. That story where he goes to this widow lady and her husband had died. And, and then that's, it's like the tax collector comes and they need. She's, she's in debt and she doesn't know what to do. And she calls out to Elisha. And so Elisha says, go get some pots. And what we're going to do with these pots is we're going to fill them up with oil. You'll be able to take that oil and sell it. And so what she does is she goes to all of her friends and neighbors and she gabs, gra- gathers all these oil pots. And, go, and then the man of God, then she starts pouring out the oil and it's just never-ending oil. And every pot she brings, it fills it up and it's actually spilling over. It's kind of making a little bit of a mess. And she ends up running out of oil pots. And at the end of this, that story, you'll hear preachers say, oh, well, she just should have had more oil pots. And I'm just thinking, the story is not about the pots. Because you could get all the pots you want. You could continue an infinite level of pots. It's a story of the infinite love of God and his blessing to usward. That when he starts filling us up, that our cup overrunneth. And I just got to say, sometimes it's got to get a little messy. Sometimes God's love is so good and so amazing that it might just be a little bit messy. 
it might just interrupt the service a little bit. Right? It might just be a little bit out of what we have programmed or what we're trying to confine God as. It might just be a little bit something more lively. It's not about the pots. It's not about the methods. It's about Him. It's about Him. He's got the oil. He wants to pour, he wants to pour it upon you. It's not a hard thing. This is really not hard stuff. This is really rudimentary. But the problem is, is at the very beginning, we're doubting who God is and His greatness. And that's limiting the hand of God. Because God in all of His rich love and all of His mercy... And it, and it extends to, the, to beyond the universe. It's still limited by one factor, and that's our ability to receive it. If you're lost in here tonight, whatever time it is, not night, afternoon, if you're lost in here, and you don't know this Savior I'm talking about, it's a free gift. You can call upon Him. If you believe He is who He says He is, if you believe that He died for your sins, that he was buried and he rose again the third day. Well, how am I supposed to believe that? I never saw it. It's a thing of faith. I'm telling you, it comes from the Holy Spirit. He speaks within your heart. And I believe as we've read God's word, you know right now this is truth. And you can try and rationalize it away. And you can try and have all those deep arguments in your side between, between religion and between philosophy. And maybe you've been in a church before where you've been burned by religion because you felt guilty. And, you, and when you ask about God, you just kind of say, I don't really like God because he's so restrictive. And I'm just, I'm just here to say I'm sorry for the misrepresentation if that's ever been anything I've displayed because my God is not limited by, by the walls of religion. It's not. God is not limited by the, the walls of science and education because it's, that's limited. Thou preparedest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those are His blessings to you who believe. He wants forever paradise with you to bless you. Why would you say no to that? Why? You'd be a, you're the lunatic. I'm not the lunatic for believing in God. You're the lunatic for not believing in God. He's amazing. So I, I just, you know, I got to know... If we were to take a box and say, this is God inside this box. Man might say, and we open up this box, and what does it say? Well, God's a good man. In fact, a lot of people say that today. God's a good man. He's, he was a good man. He had some good ideas about turning your cheek and loving other people. So, I like God. Let me add him to my box of different gods or philosophies and ideas. We'll just put him up there as a cute little theologian of the times. He was influential. Then you might say, well, actually, no, I, I believe bigger than that. I think God was more like a prophet of God. In fact, that's what the Jehovah's Witnesses say and the Mormons will say. That's what the Islam will say, that Jesus was a prophet of God. It's a little bit bigger box than just saying he was a good person. Still, so we can contain more of who God is in here. But can I say, you as Christians, and we think, oh, well, we got it more figured out than they do. So we go on our journey and we start to discover who, who is God. So we get a bigger box. And we open that box up and we start. And this is part of my summit climb I've been talking about. I might, I might have started with a bigger box because I've been reading my Bible for some time. But I definitely started with a smaller box than I got now. So we open up this box to feel out, figure out who God is. And some churches might say, well, he's a healer of sickness. 
Well, that's true. Yeah, he heals a lot of people. He did a lot of good things. We know that these miracles are true. So we're going to put God in here as that. But wait a minute. God's bigger than this box. He's bigger than this box. He's bigger than that box. So we go on a journey and we, we dig deeper into the scriptures and we try and figure out who God is. And we find a bigger understanding of who God is. Bigger box. So how do we, conf- how do we confide God? Because to, to follow him, we have to understand him, right? So we have to be able to define who he is. And if, once I've defined him, now I can follow him. Because I, if faith, it's not a thing of faith. It's a thing of, you know, oh, man. Uh-oh, where did he go? God, where are your attributes? <laughs> we start to believe that God was... So where were we at? If I can remember it, I don't have these points written down and my note is gone. Well, God disappeared out of this box because he didn't like that one either. <laughs> Whatever it was, it wasn't big enough, okay? So then we still go venturing on and we're trying to figure out who God is and we say, God, I need a bigger box. Could you redefine yourself? So we got, ooh, we get out of big box. Oh, God's really big now. You guys got those ideas of God, but I got, look at this one. What's this one say? Oh, creator of all things. Booyah, baby. That's what we're talking about tonight, right? But you get deeper into God's word and it gets bigger. It gets bigger. So let's start filling this room. What is God? What is God to you? Anybody want to proclaim that? Come on, where's some attributes of God? Just shout it out. What? Mercy? Faithful? Savior? What else? Grace, love, goodness, kindness. I like that one. Good job. We could go on. What else? Suffering, long-suffering. What? Long-suffering, good. Anything else? Life? Absolutely. What else? My Lord, Savior. Mm, I wish I could do it like Kenny Baldwin does. Mm. Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. <laughs> Metamorpho, my... Caterpillar, butterfly, boom, shaka-laka-laka. That's what he says in his message. Yeah, God's something great. But the problem is, is if we were to fill this room right here with all the greatness of God, still not big enough. We still got to push those walls out. Because God's got a bigger message than that. And his love's so big that we just need to stop trying to contain it. We just need to come to the point where we realize we're just not going to actually get that box because it's undefinable. It's unreachable. It's unsearchable. Ooh, let me get in Ephesians chapter 3. My, contact, my text is so in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 3. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that ye ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Can I get an amen? amen. Woo! God's big. He's bigger than you think. And it's okay to think that. Don't be scared to venture out on that territory. Get the oxygen mask. It's time to take the climb. It's time that this church, Wooden Valley, rises up and starts saying, we serve a mighty God that is able to change 
broken lives and sins and chains and bondages. We're fighting with things that are, we're constantly losing to. And we, we've kind of accepted this idea that God is, is good and he's teaching me some things and I'm working on it. But, you know, I'm just really a failure. But we are alive in Christ. We are more than conquerors through him. He, he's won the battle. We need to get rid of the boxes. We need to let it go out and we need to spread the love. So, Christian, this is my message to you and I'm closing. The cookie jars. Everybody's been asking me about the cookie jars. There's nothing magical about the cookie jars. Those cookie jars all have labels. All they say is WBBC with the Instagram on there. It doesn't have a special date for them to come to church. It just has that. And what it is, is they, it's something you can take, and on the back side, there's going to be pamphlets I have back there with the recipe on what's in there and how to cook it, right? And these are pots that I'm giving you guys because the world is all around us. There's people that need the love of Christ, and we are the vessels to share that love. If you're not sharing the love of God, you're not doing your commission, you are failing to do the ministry of reconciliation which he's given to every single one of us. There's not a single person in here that is not given to the ministry of reconciliation. If, you, if Christ is your Savior, when he fills you with his love, it's supposed to bubble up, get messy, get all over the place, get exciting, get filled full of his spirit and share with other people because other people don't need religion. I promise you that. People are fed up with religion. People are fed up with psychology. There's no answers in that. And people are sick of this God that they think is limited by these boxes. We need to show them something bigger than that. That's simply coming and knocking on the door and saying, Hi, I'm your neighbor. How are you doing? Hey, I made these cookies for you. And use it as an entryway to start talking to that person. So as you walk out, I want every family, and we got 60 right now, and this doesn't have to be the amount that we have. We, this can continue. The pots can continue to come. You guys want to make more cookies? Let's do it. Let's start passing them out all around. And, and it's not about the cookies. It's not the method. It's not the method. It's the message that we're trying to share. And so there's a message to share, and every one of us are supposed to be involved in that message, and it's allowing the, the riches, the fullness of God's love to be spread abroad in our hearts, to share with the lost, because when somebody feels the love of God, it transcends language, it transcends culture, it transcends religions, it transcends all things, because the love of God can be understood no matter who you are. Because God is miraculous in that way. He, and if you're in here right now, you're going, wow, God's speaking to me right now. Yeah, that's him. He's doing that. Mm-hmm. He could do that. He can meet you on a very intimate level. I'll tell you the story just because God gave it to me, and I've got to share this. For my birthday, I'm ter- I ju- just turned 32. What's today, the 30th? 30th? Yesterday was my birthday. Happy birthday, David. I'll sing happy birthday. No, I'm just kidding. I, God gave me an idea and this is actually goes even deeper than what I'm going to be able to share with you because I don't have the time. But God's grace is good. I wanted a new Bible because God's, this stuff I'm studying has been changing my life. And I said, God, I need a bigger, I need a new Bible. I need new margins. And so I had an idea of what I wanted in my head. It's kind of like in my head. I was thinking, I want a black, soft leather Bible. And I'm, so I go over to my dad's house, right? We stay up late and we're talking about the Bible and stuff. It's like midnight. And I say, Dad... I want you to buy me a Bible for my birthday. <laughs> what? Because yeah, I usually don't you know, ask somebody for a birthday gift. I was like, no, I want it to be from you because I want it to be special. 
And there's this whole thing going on about a legacy that goes much deeper that, that's really on a more of a personal note. But I want it to be from you, Dad, because I want a special Bible that's got wide margins and it's black. And I'm, I'm describing it to the T, what I want, this size. He stands up, goes upstairs. To, he didn't take any time. It was already out. He grabs it, he comes down, he puts this in my lap. And I go, oh, wow, that's kind of like exactly the Bible that I was thinking of. That's intimate. Wow, that's really cool. I open it up. And see, that's the good thing about God is because he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Because I turn to the beginning and it's actually my mom's Bible. be right before she passed away. And my dad had bought it for my mom. <laughs> the miraculous.